She's Nicole. And I'm Erica. And we're the co-conspirators of Women of Color Collaborative, where we're working, playing, and building our way toward healthier, safer, and more affirming spaces for women of color. This is Cool, Calm, Collaborative. Last time I said this is my favorite one, and then you came in here and did that today. This one had a little choreography behind it, you know. Uh, yes, yes. Y'all are missing out. Those of you who can't see Erica right now. <laughs> I loved it. We back. How long have we been gone? Um, in real time or in like social media digital time? I don't even know. Like, this month has been one of the longest years ever. Yeah. So, we came back with a guest. Bonus feature. Pew, 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 pew. Yeah, so we came back and we didn't come alone. We got our girl Annie with us. She joined us for our very first cohort ever, and she has not left us since, and we are better for it. <laughs> She's been everywhere that Walk has been for the last two years. Yeah. I'm throwing up the deuces right now. That's what y'all yeah. say. Because yeah. she's been rocking so hard with Walk. She's our board member now. Like, she's just out here in these streets making sure that, um, the work, the playing, and the building is happening in multiple places. And all the spaces that she occupies, um, she is such an authentic, I want to say an authentic version of herself, but not as in like, oh, I have to pretzel and be somebody different. But what I, one of the things I love most about Annie is that she is able to really reflect what the room needs as it relates to a part of her most authentic voice and self and being in existence in this really, really beautiful way um, that I love to learn from and I love to just enjoy that energy in a space. And so we decided to phone a friend literally like 20 minutes ago. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, we phoned some friends. So this might be like a double bonus. For, for you listeners and you know today's the day <laughs> so Annie how you doing today girl I'm doing great and this little introduction got me blushing and stuff I'm like oh Erica speaks Annie <laughs> Erica speaks everybody honestly even people she don't really fool with she'd be like this is why <laughs> because I speak them and I don't like it <laughs> you have to unmute yourself in this part. Exactly. I mean, I was I didn't want to jump in, you know, I didn't want to do the Virgo double dutch, but do understand relater is my number one strength finder. Like let's run this tape back. As much as this is me being my authentic self with my sister friends, these are also my sister friends who speak people and who speak Erica in multiple ways. And so y'all just read me and I was over here like, well, on mute. Like exactly. I can still speak your language and be like, but that's why I don't fuck with you. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> I hear what you said and I don't like it. I don't like it. I'm <laughs> that right there. Subscribe. Uh, <laughs> so, Annie, we start our show with the check in most weeks. You know, we just come up in here and we say, this is what's going on. And usually Erica says this. So, when I'm talking, 
just know this is getting cut out. <laughs> but so it's going to be, you know, what's, what's going on in your world? And then what's your favorite thing this week is our check-in thing. So <clears throat> what is going on in my world? So I think I just got back from the beach. It was a much needed reset. I am uh, feeling optimistic. I am appreciating the space that I'm in, even though it is very uncomfortable. And I, it is Monday, right? What is time? What is time? What is time? Um, today is Monday. So I'm going to say my favorite thing this past weekend was listening to my body and then giving it exactly what it needed. And yeah, there was a situation that came up that could have, you know, had me spiraling. But I was like, you know what you need? You need some of your sister friends. So you found one and she was able to provide exactly what I needed. So that our time together last weekend was my favorite, my favorite space. I love it. We talk so much about pleasure because that is important to both of us. Um, and Annie's been on this journey with us and how we think about pleasure in relation to all the things that's happening around us and in us and through us. And so I love that your example to me spoke like your pleasure language, right? Like you knew what you needed to keep your cup full in that way. And I love it. Nicole, girl, how you doing? And what's been your favorite thing this week? Did y'all hear any of that? No. Is it all in my headphones? Okay. <clears throat> um, man, somebody was FaceTiming me. So I hope that all of that made it into the show. <laughs> Okay, um, my I always come with these really random things because I don't really go nowhere, okay? So my favorite thing this past week, you know those shower bars, those titching bars with the shelves on them? Yeah. Those, that's been in my shower for probably all of this year. Um, I just took it out and replaced it with a shower curtain liner that has pockets in it. So now I have all kinds of room in my shower again. And it's been... You know, since California, so since our California trip, I've been on this this water journey, like enhancing my baths and showers. So this is in line with that, and it really does feel nicer in there. Like I can see more, so it's it, it just feels bigger, you know. So it's been keeping me clean and keeping me happy. I don't know if if someone were to give me a bingo card full of items that said like which friend would purchase which item. I could distinctly identify where Nicole would fall on my bingo card because a shower curtain <laughs> with pockets on the inside, if I had to put a name to it, it would be you. It would absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that, yes. <laughs> Earlier today, when you, we were modeling <laughs> responses, and you asked me what my quality was. So I'm very organized. And <laughs> now I have the shower curtain with pockets. So this other, um, we started this journey, um, this podcasting journey today with me telling Erica that I'm drinking my first cocktail ever. Like this, this drink I'm drinking is the first alcoholic beverage I ever had. Um, and it is. It's tequila and Kool-Aid. So it, it, it got me, you know, I asked Erica, what, 
the favorite your not favorite the first drink you ever had my very first drink was probably um <clears throat> um vodka and cranberry so my uncle specifically my big daddy he made a cocktail pretty much first thing in the morning um and our family alcohol was not something and it's actually interesting because i think i've had a journey with alcohol because of this i know i've had a journey with alcohol because of this um our family on both sides of my family alcohol is a way that we build community as soon as you walk into the door of somebody's home they are going to offer you a drink for the most part um, we have some outliers but for the most part and and because of that even so alcohol was not something that felt like a um, forbidden fruit for us um but my uncle's go-to drink was either vodka and orange juice or vodka and cranberry and i'm allergic to oranges so i'm pretty sure the drink i would have been tasting as a child would have been the vodka and cranberry it's so funny you say that because uh the reason it's kool-aid and, and tequila is because that was what was at my big mouth house <laughs> yeah <laughs> And it wasn't like I was going to pour me a drink. I believe someone else poured the drink, and I was just like, "Oh, absolutely." And then it's like, "Oh, is that is that what that tastes like?" Yuck, guys. Well, my uncle actually used to ask, like I, which I laugh now because I don't play cards. Like most folks say, they're gonna, you know, take whatever this imaginary black card y'all think he's supposed to have away. Because um, <clears throat> I don't play cards. Like I don't play spades. I don't like. I don't. I know the concept. I genuinely don't find any inner entertainment in it and so I don't enjoy it but I was always the drink girl and so I made the drinks for my uncles and you know their friends and my grandfather and his friends who were at the actual table playing cards I didn't get to say my favorite thing for the week oh my god <laughs> I'm sorry I'm so used to doing it you know two times <laughs> I want to share my favorite thing for the week want to hear it <laughs> i'm really excited about it so um i my favorite thing for the week i'm gonna go with today since technically we're recording this evening so this will count um <clears throat> we today was the first day of our summer program with our youth um our teen girls we have 16 we have 16 um young ladies between the ages of 14 and 17 who were enrolled in our summer program. And today was our first day and I am absolutely exhausted, but um, I share with somebody who I had a, a, consult, a consultation call with this evening is the best part of being tired. Um, I'm really, really excited that at this point in my career and our career, Nicole, that we can completely with 100% autonomy, build a program from the ground up, compensate the young ladies who are participating in the program, and we get paid. Like to me, that's just the trifecta, right? Because I feel like we are always sacrificing one or two of those. And in, in this scenario, we, we get to rock with all three. And that makes me really excited. Also, walking to, into a room of young Black girls doing work with two and three of your favorite people, one of which is your own mentee. Cause you know, your friends who got kids now who like are in college and need internships. Yeah, she's definitely the peer leader. Okay. So put her to work too. And so it was just a really beautiful experience today. And it made me forget 
it, it made me forget about the bullshit that we've been dealing with while also acutely reminding me of the ways in which I am choosing to thrive even in the midst of the bullshit. So funny, you talk about this point in our career. I mean, I was actively, like my boss actively sabotaged my summer program. <laughs> so when Erica's talking about to be able to autonomously uh, mm-hmm. build a program from start to finish, get compensated and be able to do something good for your kids and like own all of it. Mm-hmm. This is an interesting point in my career. Cause congratulations um, ladies. Exactly. I was just about to say, cause I've been working to try to do this for nine years. Like, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. But, okay. We got to ask Annie about her first drink. We got super sidetracked. Oh, first drink you ever had. I think, so not counting like the random beers or Guinness my dad would like let me sip on. My first real drink was Alize. I think it was blue. I feel like it might be the only time I've ever had it. I was maybe 17 because I, I remember going off to college shortly after that. So because I mean the Guinness and the Heineken those don't count because it was just a little sip sip just so my dad could see how disgusting it tasted and I'd be like ew I didn't drink beer I was traumatized I didn't drink beer for a long time but my first real drink was like I don't know what flavor but it was some blue alizé yeah I I I don't think I've ever had alizé before girl you ain't missing nothing I have so many emotions that I don't know where to put. And so I have not allowed myself to process them, but I am having visceral reactions to things. I am like audibly sighing at shit when I see it. I am rolling my eyes and like smacking my teeth in ways that I don't usually do on a day-to-day basis. Things are triggering me and I'm not taking the time to understand it because I know it's connected to a whole lot of other shit that I feel like I don't even have the capacity for right now, but my reactions are very real. Yeah. <clears throat> I love the people are pointing out, you know, the, the people, they're naming, they're renaming streets Black Lives Matter and people keep saying, I mean, it's a lot of MLKs in the hood, you know? <laughs> then I, on the flip side, I saw somebody ask if anybody has said they're good on any BLM Boulevard. I'm good and I feel like if ever there were a time that if I were to say this is what I I would expect for an employer to have a little bit more empathy or understanding it would be now right Mm -hmm. and so the folks who are still showing their asses it's like oh you really really don't give a fuck like you in a whole nother Dante's Inferno like a whole nother level down from it interesting I need the list. I know that people are compiling lists of companies that have made statements, but I don't know if that list includes like the number of black people they employ, the number of black people in leadership positions, because I mean, what's his name? Serena's husband. Him. Yeah. Serena's husband. (laughs) It's something extra. Anyway, he he stepped down from the board at Reddit and was like, put a black person in my spot. And they did because white men have power like that. So imagine if just one white man on every board was like, give my spot to a black person, the difference that would make literally overnight. If, if it was a roll off the board day. 
<laughs> oh, I, I'll take that. I like that. Roll off the board day. Mm-hmm. I mean, because until you are doing shit like that, you can't really say that anything you say in these statements is real. Like, your, your social media manager wrote that. <laughs> like, I don't really... I'm even going to go a step further. It's like all these companies that's like, yeah, I'm going to give $20 million to this. I'm going to give $15 million to that. I'm going to give 10. I'm like, no, you need to one, make sure that your employees demographic looks like your clientele's demographic. That's one. Mm -hmm. And instead of donating money, how about you just say, I'm going like, especially for retailers, the demographic of your clientele have 15% of your, your shelf for just for black uh retailers sephora did that so they can get my business sephora did sephora yes they have as a response or they've been as a response yeah to all of this because like that's a conversation that's happening right now where people are like yo y'all donating all this money is a one-time thing that's not going to create systemic change and i was like all right sephora and i i don't even know what i would buy at sephora but I'm gonna have to start figuring out so I can support these black retailers. They sell Fenty. Um, oh, do they now? Yeah, they do. Oh. <laughs> and they, did you hear me say they've been doing that? Because <laughs> that's where I got my Fenty. I was like, oh. <laughs> but um, now I'm gonna have to see what else they got in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My so, mama was talking about, I need, I need, I just don't understand why there aren't any black businesses. So I was like, I can tell you the black businesses that are in Target, a lot, just, just Target's black businesses, if you want. <laughs> like, cause it seems like, I don't want to make this a generational thing, but so much of life is, um, both of my parents are asking for black businesses and like saying, we need to help these black businesses. And I'm like, people in my demographic, not only do we know black businesses, shop black businesses we've already started the GoFundMe's for the ones who care about you know don't this it's not just the protest or the pandemic we also suffered a tornado at the beginning of March like we we already doing them so I just it is definitely a, a generational thing um which would be really interesting to map in some kind of way which means we would need to be more intentional about some of our intergenerational spaces or multi-generational spaces but um, should write this down. I can, I can track the ways in which my mother and I think so differently about our same sets of needs, right? And especially when it comes to thinking about what are the products we'll use, how do we attain those products, the thought behind attaining those products um, is very different. Everything that she tells me she needs and she asked me where did I get mine from, 90% of the time it was from a small business that I ordered online and it was a black owned business. And those are things that she comes to me for because she doesn't, she has not figured out how to navigate that within the way her con- her, her construct of um, being able to purchase items. That. That's an interest. That's just super insightful because when I think about the way my mother shops, um, and actually <laughs> everything I told her is available on Amazon. But when I think about the way she shops, um, she is not she's not finding people on Instagram. You know, she's not finding people um, really from any of her friends. 
she's going to major big box stores she's going to the usual suspects for her for items which is why i was like i can tell you the black businesses that are in target you might have to order from the website but target is selling a stuff you know um and actually in the target in the bay area they have a lot more of that stuff just on the shelf than they do down here but her access, she would think that it's limited because she just doesn't see it as much as we do, I guess, because of the channels we're on. But she has, like, all of the things, all access to everything that we have, and she still doesn't think that there are enough Black businesses for, you know, like you said, those same set of needs. Okay, so can we talk about how apparently all Black men want to fuck Michelle Obama? Come again, Frank? just to take it back a little bit um, I was introduced to a rapper by the name of Zach Fox who I didn't believe was a rapper because he sounds I mean the stuff he says is ridiculous so I thought he was a comedian but apparently he's taking this rapper thing seriously but he has a song um, where she says a little bit of nonsense and then he yells out I want to fuck Michelle Obama and when I first heard it my first response was to like ugh ugh I gotta protect Michelle Obama. What's what's up? Who do you think he is? What why are you talking about her like this? And my husband said, I don't know how to break it to you, but all black men want to have sex with Michelle Obama. And I was like, mm-hmm. like, so yeah, all of us. She's attractive. I'm getting unmuted, so I believe she has something to say. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this is news to me. So, Annie, you who hearing this, I am curious to see how true this is. Like, I'm so curious. Let's talk about it. (laughs) At first, I thought it was slightly disrespectful. She's a married woman. And she's married to the most wonderful Black man on the planet. Like, come on now. So, I am not, I really am curious to see how true this is. So his thing I, was, I don't think like, I've heard that before. and like, I get it. I, I, the context when this came up for us earlier, we were talking about just randomly cloning ourselves so that we could go to our own summer program <laughs> because that's what watching Rick and Morty does for you. Um, there's the episode, one of the Citadel episodes where the evil Morty is running for the president of the Citadel and uh, Rick shows up with a baby Rick, and he says, I clone myself so you can kiss me as a baby. It's the funniest shit ever. And so, just casually, me and Erica were like, I wish I had cloned myself so we could go to this summer program. And then I said, who would I want to kiss me as a baby? And I was like, I w- it would be Barack. And I was like, nah, it's Michelle. And then I remembered the song, and I was like, did you know? <laughs> Apparently. So I want y'all to understand Nicole just gave you a play-by-play of a beautiful Erica and Nicole moment. And we weren't even high. Like, that was just at Starbucks, like, during the day. Good. It's excellent that you point that out. Excellent. Because I I expect that off of, you know, even this tequila and Kool-Aid that I would come up with some shit, like, calling myself so we go to our own program. But we were sober. Just cooling. So, from this rabbit hole, um, Nicole shared this very 
disturbing piece of information with me that has been etched in my brain now for the past five hours enough that this is our podcast tonight. <clears throat> so I too, Annie, had the question of, does this track, like where, where does this show up for guys? How does it show up? And I'm going to be very honest, where my brain immediately went to is if all these Black men want to have sex with Michelle Obama, um, which I want to sort of digest this still, but then also like dissect the why. If you down for my girl in any way, shape or form enough that you, okay, yes, every man, Black man wants to have sex with her. Where were y'all when they was coming for her? Like, where, where was this admiration, this pedestal, this whatever category you were putting, she is a woman I want to have sex with, whatever that looks like in your brain. How come you couldn't turn on that same switch when they was coming for her in the media? Hard, hard. Like, I'm, that's what I want to know. Yeah. That's true. However, being devil's advocate, I'd like to. Devin don't need no advocates, girl. <laughs> girl, you know I'm here. I'm here for all the voices. Yes, I'm just. And I am. I I wasn't aware of the extent to which they come, were coming for her, but do they come to our defense usually? That's the real question. Drop the motherfucking mic. And there we have the podcast. Do you understand where we were going today? Okay. I have so many questions. I have so many questions, mainly about myself. I'm gonna be honest. It's it's some Eric shit, y'all. Like I realized that on the drive home today. Once we solidify what we we're gonna talk about in the podcast, I was like, okay, this is some Eric shit that's coming up. Because I have stated publicly and even held like hosted dialogues around dynamics between black men and black women very specifically we'll talk about that dialogue group and i wasn't even there because bobby's bobby's rundown and your rundown being so different just makes yeah it's beautiful so when the co is described me is exactly the dynamic of what happened in that room so i hosted um a a like understanding across gender sort of dialogue series very well put together. I appreciate everybody who gave me input. Input. I co-facilitated with a Black male. We were very intentional about setting up a space that felt equitable. Um, we had an even balance of male and female, married, unmarried. It was great. And as Nicole is saying, like my debrief of it and one of uh, a, a male colleagues of ours, his debrief felt very different. But what came up, the very first question that I asked in that space was if you were to walk into a room and there was only one other black person in there and it was a person of the opposite sex what is your immediate reaction like how do you feel what 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 um what are your expectations of the way you interact the way you engage and dissecting that what i understand for myself is and i oftentimes bring this up about my upbringing i expect to feel physically protected in every space where there is another black man i just grew up in the type of environment where between my grandfather and his friends, my dad and his friends, my uncles and his friends, there were always men around and they made sure that we felt not only physically safe, but that they articulated that somebody was watching out for us, right? 
And so for me, what I have been interrogating, even in my relationships, are my own ideals around safety and then either the lack there of that being represented or reflected in my relationships, me having sometimes subtle and non-subtle like disdain for a male unconsciously because they're not projecting a certain level of, I have equated that security with a certain level of masculinity, right? And... And when it's not there, what's my default as a woman to feel to then protect myself and other women around me? And I think I'm, I'm getting to a place where the idea I have in my head is not matching the reality to the place where like I've shifted it, right? Like I've contorted this idea for myself. And I think today us talking about this and like, why weren't Black men speaking up? And I even said to you, Nicole, actually what was so loud was their silence. Like I can still hear in my head how silent black men were around Michelle Obama. And that's why Mm -hmm. this comment was so, like it stabbed a little bit. Cause y'all ain't have shit to say to protect her. Which really translates for me, y'all don't have shit to say to protect us. And that's what sent me down my fucking spiral today. Yeah. And so it's like, for, (laughs) This is this is formulating as we're speaking, but it's what it's it took me to a place of like, well, what do how do we talk about these statements from these companies, right? Like, how do we want our allies to show up for us? And it, it gets it, in some cases, whenever we hear that something negative has happened to a black woman, or like I mentioned that Psychology Today an article from all those years ago that said that black women. In whatever study they did, black women showed that they have the highest level of confidence, but that most people see them the least attractive. So basically, they're saying we're delusional, you know. So it's like, in what do we expect our male allies to do? There, <laughs> I'm sorry. We have to pause for reaction, Cam, because Annie, that was my reaction too when she said it to me so casually across the table from chips and salsa and i was like what what? yeah girl i mean (laughs) i don't want to give the article no clicks but i remember i feel like it was one of the first things i was outraged about on twitter like that's how old it is where like everybody on my twitter feed was talking like do you see this shit like i was they really came and i feel like it was written by an asian man so like stereotypically he 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 wants to talk you know did they really really use the word delusional no 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 (laughs) i don't i don't know maybe they did for a second i was about to come real hard like what's psychology today i feel like if they were to say explicitly black women are delusional like mm -hmm. i don't think that they would be around today and and i think that so and and they apologized for this whole study this article and everything but i feel like if they said in the article the words black women are delusional (laughs) then um psychology today wouldn't be a thing i i I hope that's true like in my soul i feel like they wouldn't have been able to say that but a reading person a thinking person i mean would look at this and say wait a minute a person who thinks they're attractive so much so that they are the highest numbers of everybody studied like black women at the top they think they the shit and then when everybody else was asked we were at the bottom like that can't, I mean, how? Like, so my attractiveness is based on how many other people see me? 
Is that sure. what they're is that what the article is saying? Now you, you see the flaws in this study. Unless someone else sees me. We think we're attractive. They don't. Like opposite numbers. So but that plastic surgery bill. The sun tanning. Like, yeah. The lip injections. We not attractive though. Everybody trying to look like us though. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So I think my question when I could start that was what do we want? What do we want men to do? Right. And um thinking about that 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 the camp that we went to that one time that felt like a cult. <laughs> How the answer was be an ally. Be an ally. What happens when you say be an ally? And so it's like Men talking to other men about how much they want to have sex with Michelle Obama, I guess. But what good does that do if they can acknowledge that they are attracted to her, right? If they don't say shit when other people are calling her a monkey or talking about her arms, you know? And then what good is it if, like, and then, and then it, it's like, it's the same as, I guess, white men saying the same type of thing, you know? I wonder what's changed. Like, what's changed from when she was first lady or when Barack was running for the first time to now? Of course, now she's been a first lady and they have a track record for what they have a track record for. So it's easy for you to say you love her more now than you did back then because she is done stuff. But I'm I'm still... I'm. St so what's going through my mind is, it's noted that what I know is the more educated a black woman, the less likely she's gonna get married. And when I think of Michelle Obama, I think accomplished, educated. So this is why I'm like, how, this is not, I mean, in my mind, it's not tracking. I'm gonna have to have, send out a survey to see how many black men say, yes, I would definitely do her. Because from what I know, the more educated, the more paid we are and we're single, that starts to go down. Like the likelihood of you getting married starts to go down. So that's why when you when when it, you said it, I'm like, hmm. I wonder what 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 is it. So here's the thing, and this is where, um, as much as I and I realized this in my last relationship, I'm really putting my therapy to work. Um, <clears throat> as much as I deeply believe in equity. I fully insert full legal name here. Um, do believe that we are genuinely wired and created different than those who have different chromosomes than us, right? That is that is what I believe. I think there's just a wiring that's a little different, even on a like intuition level. I think we are tapped in in a very different way, and so. I think what becomes difficult where my where I hit that wall for myself is in that difference. What are we equating a man wanting to sleep with Michelle Obama with? Are we equating that with lust? Are we equating that with infatuation? Are we equating that with admiration? Are we equating that with like partnership? Like we're we're floating this concept around, but it's nothing. It's not. Um, it's not anchored to anything. You know, I don't really know what we 
how are we making meaning of them wanting to have sex? I'm still blown away with the fact that all of them will want to have sex with her, not off of like any one criteria other than where were y'all when? Like, I don't understand how you, like, honestly, that's the only thing I'm using in my head. And so I want to try to flip it, but there's, I don't know what to connect it to. This is kind of why I want to ask more men, because it's one thing if it's like, you know, it's Leon and his friend group have talked about it since they knew who she was. It's, it's, it's like, that's for, and I don't know, I mean, we be getting high. <laughs> he might throw around all Black men when he means him and his friends, but the thought even that, you know, a friend group of Black men would be even saying something like that when my experience knowing, you know, since Michelle Obama has been in my my psyche has not been not reflected that i would love to hear from black men i don't know or who don't know my husband to tell me you know if that's the case and to to answer that question too like what does that even mean because this is this is that that line like where where, um white people will say oh i love your dark skin and like so it's like if you're saying you want to have sex with michelle obama then it's like is it a fetish you know is it what what is it do you is it something like you're saying Annie where she's accomplished things now she's uh, I guess not I shouldn't even say accomplished things now but in their eyes she's been the first lady so ooh, that's attractive you know um I also wonder if it goes to you know social media over since 2008 has come so far so then more women can see her and they like the way that she makes us feel is more out there um and maybe Nancy that and that's attractive like I can think of lots of avenues to get there I think um Erica asked a really good question because when I hear that part of part of what I'm saying is it like now it's got me thinking do you just want to have sex with her just because like she's been it's a fetish type of thing like Nicole said or do you are you trying to make her your wife? This is like, so now I'm like, see, now you you have my mind churning in terms of, hmm, yeah, so what is it? If all of y'all want to, you know, want to bed her, what, <laughs> like, what exactly, why? Like, what's changed from, like, 2008 to now? And what's the... I'm still trying to figure out what the what the new thing is. Like, what's changed? What's the new thing that all of a sudden we all want to do it? And then something that comes to mind is also the uh, perhaps is because the first time I heard it was in the, in those lyrics, and he said it so passionately. The first thing that came to mind was like, "Damn, what if Barack hears that?" That's what came for real. I'm like, well, what, what are you going to think? Is it going to be a, yeah, but I, that, but that's all me? Or is it going to be like, damn, that's my wife you're talking about. So it's one of those things that I'm like, in this going back to what you're saying, how do they show up for us? It's like, one, is he going to think to ask her how she feels about it first before he has a reaction about it? Or is it just going to be like, nah, that's my wife, my property, and you're not allowed to talk about her in that in that way so it's it's like all of these nuances that are coming up because i'm like hmm, i wonder how barack feels about this but it's it's also showing how like talking to equity i can still say i have some gender bias where when i heard it 
the first thing that came to mind was Barack's reaction, not Michelle's. And I can say that I have gender bias because it should have been Michelle, how Michelle felt about this that came to mind for the, like the first thing that came to mind should have been, wow, I wonder how Michelle feels about another man just talk, like just, I, again, I don't know how Michelle felt about it, but I also realized, I just realized something about me that the first thing I thought was like, ooh, how Barack feel about this? Patriarchy is a hell of a drug, girl. It's not your fault. Hell of a drug. Hell of a drug. We are I mean, all some, some, the gender roles that work in my favor, I will stand by them. <laughs> you know, I, I can't even lie about that. Like, I don't like taking the trash out. So if a man wants to swoop in and say, men take the trash out, then boom. Because <laughs> patriarchy is a hell of a drug. It, it was it was very surprising though because I have been alone. My not let me not say alone because I had I have a large, large family, but as far as romantically, I have been. I have I'm almost in a point where I have to deprogram myself to be in a relationship with a man because I've always relied on me to do everything. So I'm at the point where and I and again it 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 does interfere. Because it's not just a man. People, when you're in a relationship with any, anybody in general, even if it's a friendship, they have to feel needed or worthwhile in the relationship in general. So I'm at a point where I'm at where I need to deprogram myself from doing everything myself because I find myself telling my friends who are married that they can't say their husbands of use are useless if they don't never give them. They take care of everything anyway. Don't call them useless if you want to take care of everything. So I'm at the point where I'm trying to take my own advice and deprogram myself from wanting to do everything. So like when Erica earlier was saying, I just see it as a protection thing. For me, it's, I have never felt that way outside of my dad and my brothers. Like if it wasn't my dad or my, my brothers, matter of fact, when I walk into a room and there's only another black, the other, other black person is a man, I don't feel any safer than when I, than if it was all white people in the room. Like, I don't see the black man as an ally. And until you said that, I didn't realize that, oh yeah, but no, you don't. But if it's another black woman, I'm like, hey girl. Like there, there's that telepathy conversation that happens where it's like, whew, okay, I'm a little more relaxed than I was when I walked into the room. But that does not happen with the black man. And until you had that whole conversation with, us just now I didn't realize that that's how like oh when I took a body scan thinking about other hey sorry I yeah <laughs> oh y'all <laughs> listeners we have another guest on the line my homie Michelle popped Hi. on so we gonna take a break uh catch her up and we'll be back and, and go down this thread with Annie but literally as I was walking up the steps one of um my white gaze who was trying to bust himself out of some of the thinking that he grew up with was asking me about the most recent shooting in Atlanta and like wanting me to help him break down why he shouldn't say, well, he shouldn't have run and blah, 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 and all that sort of stuff. 
then I got caught in that conversation. I was like, well, that's a great warm up for this podcast. Did you give him your cash app? Because why are you teaching in the hallway? Okay, so how much he won you, sis? Because that's we can probably up. talk about this on air. So I had this conversation. This is air, girl. With... That break was fake. That's just for. <laughs> okay. Ooh. Hey, people. Um. So <laughs> we. I had this conversation with my other friend Nicole. Um. About I often feel like I am that respectable Negro, and I am the person that. I'm like, yeah, sure, you can ask me questions. Yeah, we can have this conversation. And I'm not, I don't feel like I'm angry enough in some of the debates and conversations we have. And I have this like sense of guilt with that. But I grew up going to predominantly white institutions. So I've done this my whole life. So it's not that it doesn't bother me. It's just that I, I will still go home and go to sleep regardless of the fact that you think that we need to behave a certain way in order to live. It's not right, but I'm also not going to get in a heated conversation about it. And if you want to come to me and have the conversation, I'll have it as long as I'm not mentally exhausted. If I'm not in a place where I can't do it mentally, emotionally, they'll say, Google is your friend. But usually I am very open to having those conversations with people because oftentimes I am able to voice my point of view and state facts in a way that sways them a little more towards decency but yeah <laughs> i feel a way about white people can be michelle is the, the yeah. one at belmont who i think it was some somebody asked me something about my hair a white girl or whatever michelle was like well they become from farms <laughs> what but you know what though that makes sense yeah, I had, she totally I had a girl it for freshman me. year. Yeah, I had a girl freshman year who walked up to me and she was like, okay, I don't really know how to say this, but I feel like I need to tell you that I don't know how to talk to you because you're the first black person I've ever met. And I was like, no, I, was oh. a, I mean, <laughs> like literally the first black person she had ever been around longer than like That's past kind can we talk about her courage though? Yeah. I was say, hey, I'm not sure how to do this because I've never done this before. I was like, you know what? I don't mind educating you, sis. Just yeah, she had a little liquid courage too. This is a so. bridge too far for me. Okay. Because I was like, <laughs> for you to be sober, for you to be sober and come up to me and say some stuff like that. Oh, you know what though? It could also be that I'm I went to Vanderbilt. And it has happened to me plenty of times. Mm-hmm. I was just about to ask mm-hmm. because I know, I know, Erica, you were at Vanderbilt as a graduate, um, and you come from a very black place, and you came from, you know, Tennessee State University. So I wonder if your experience is going to be different from Annie's, who is Haitian and who went there as an undergraduate, and how these were. Our show ain't even about this, y'all, but. Hell yeah, our experience was different. So number one, Dandy called me in my blackity black, black, black phase, yo. Like I came from the HBCU and I'm in a city and like I know this city, so I know my people in this city. I just did my student teaching in the hood, yo. Like you couldn't, I was as black as they came, okay? And I'm still driving out to Atlanta to protest. Like I'm on some real, like for real liberated black people shit. My program 
part of that scholarship I got was because I was blackity black, black, black. So what they was getting was no surprise. And any white person in any of my graduate level courses or the one terrible class I had to take that was mixed with undergrad student, um, I was not the approachable Negro at all. They, they already knew this is not the person you're going to have that conversation with. Um, most of them either I was really good friends with you and you had no problem having professional level dialogue with me and having like really interrogating. Our program was also community um, development action, right? So it really lended itself well to thinking about equity. Unfortunately, most of them didn't even know what equity meant, especially in that context. You were CDA? Um, hmm? You were CDA? Mm-hmm. Oh. So it, it was just a very different context. The landscape of Vandy was hard, um, but I was n- I was not the one, and they knew that, and I wear that proudly. <laughs> what was the question you asked your dialogue group, Erica? It started like, um, <clears throat> so it was a combination of being not only the token, but then like in gender, but also in race. So if you walk into a room where you are um, the minority. And the only other person, the only other person of color, the only black person that you see in that space is of the opposite gender. What is your immediate reaction? What are some assumptions that you have about the way you all should or will interact? Um, what's your sentiment towards them um, in that space? In the spirit of equity, I just had another thing occur to me. I was like, oh, what if they, they're non-binary? And I think for me, it's not so much what they identify. It's not, I don't need to know you, but just the fact that you look like a black woman does make a difference for me. And it doesn't, if you're a man, it really doesn't do much for me at all. And just to be clear, when I asked this question, um, we had already sort of set and established norms about gender in that room, um, just so that the, as facilitators, we knew where people, you know, land um, and what that they felt comfortable referring to. And so we were able to have a very, very much so binary conversation intentionally. Um, but to your point, Annie, I appreciate the reflection on your end of like what that still means for you in a space. I also think just if you move through the world and your appearance is Black female, um, you will be treated differently. Um, and so not saying that your I, like your identity for yourself is meaningless, but you do develop a certain set of skills when you look like we look. You know, when you walk into a room and people are like, that's a Black woman, before they meet you, you definitely develop coping and defense mechanisms for microaggressions. And you you receive a certain set of microaggressions just based on how you look. Um, and the same can be said about people who move through the world um, you know, appearing male, appearing black male, all of those things. But um, to your point, Annie, even if that person is non-binary, if you look in a room and you see a black woman, it, it makes you want to go talk to that person and say, and find out, you know, and maybe they tell you that they're non-binary. It doesn't happen if that person is presenting male. And that's, that's the key here, is that if that person is presenting male, you don't feel safe. You don't feel any safer than you know, or, or, or in an all white room. So that's the key, I think. 
Well, I'm really trying to think about examples in my life. And I think that for me, it's a little different than Annie's in the way that if it's a room full of white people and there's a black male, I will see them as an ally in that I count on them to protect me if shit goes down. But if it is a room with more minorities of whatever, I am going to gravitate towards the black women or women of color before I gravitate towards the black male as an ally, which is weird. And I don't know exactly why. I think there's just, um, in my experience, the men behave differently when they're around men who are like them. They treat us less respectfully than they do if they were in a room of white men. In a room of white men, they will uphold us as um, a token or put us on slightly of a, uh, a pedestal. But if they are around other black men, then we become less than or um, the brunt of the joke or someone they can kind of pick at for some reason versus being the ally. That's a, that's an interesting idea because I didn't even consider what it would be if there was more than one black male in the room. First of all, my professional experience is very rare that I'm in a room with more than one black male. <coughs> but <clears throat> excuse me, I just the thought isn't comforting, you know. Like I don't think I think if <laughs> I honestly think that I would probably go sit by myself if I walked into a room and it was white people and three black dudes. I would, I would, <laughs> I would go try to be in a group with a, with a, all white people so that I could shut, I could turn them off. You know, like the path of least resistance in that space to me would be a group with white people over being in that group with the other black men or with the other black people who happen to be muscle black men. So we're going back to saying. What I'm saying is not too far-fetched. I'm just on the more extreme end of it because we're still not, there's still parts of us that still do not see Black men as allies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know what's interesting? Because my, 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 my thought, I always think about Bobby in a professional space because that's probably the closest Black male to me, you know, and, and then also professionally. So when I think back to like our very first like the first time college connection was assembled um it was just me and him and I, they put us in a group together and and you know it was weird because I remember thinking like I don't even know this dude and now I gotta work with him specifically like what if I wanted to be you know I'm in my brain trying to figure out why I'm in I'm paired with Bobby when it turned out to work in my favor in the best of ways. You know, my relationship with Bobby, um, it facilitate a lot of creative projects for College Connection and beyond that. So it's like, if my, my feelings in that space about the way um, Black people of the opposite gender show up for me, I might not have made that friend, you know, if I hadn't been forced to pair with Bobby on the first day because white people are racist. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, like, it, it turned out good, but I can think of so many other times where it did not. And in those moments, I can hear Bobby saying, you ain't gonna move that for her. You know? Like, I can, and that's, that's such a, 
it's, it's crazy to think about because like if if I'm walking in the room and it's Bobby and another black man, I'm gonna go sit next to Bobby, you know. And and I because every time Erica says, uh, obviously we've had this conversation a lot, but every time we talk about feeling safe with me, I, I never think about feeling safe because a man is around or having a man make me feel safe. But there is something to that. Like subconsciously, the reason I always feel safe or whatever is is obviously because my husband makes me feel safe. Like, I don't think I would go out anywhere with him if he didn't. I've never been out with a man I didn't feel safe with. So when I think about, when I hear you say that, I always, every time I think, I don't need no man to make me feel safe. And then I think about all the men who I spend a significant amount of time with. They are the type of men who make me feel safe or who, if in that situation, would step up and be like, that's not going to slide. Like, Bobby is the one who said, don't be moving in chairs, girl. Once they see you can do it, you're going to always do it. <laughs> That's a real message right there. That's a real message. It came from a black man. I mean, my mama also used to say, don't pick up nothing because let them let the men do it. But like to hear him say it was a different experience. And the way that Bobby asserts his maleness in professional spaces for specifically for black women, because he was not doing that for, you know, the Beckys. Like it is different. And I think it's an outlier. But it's refreshing. I think this is that one place where my ability to live in like both of the worlds like providing as Nicole tells me like you're making ex- you're 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 making excuses for right or you're making um <laughs> you're trying to make meaning out of something that you ain't got no business making meaning out of but I'm I'm actually thankful that I sort of live in those two worlds here and here's why I genuinely assume good intent with black men and Everything in me sometimes is, you know, when I listen to my gut, I listen to my gut. But I say everything in me from a place of like, I have the horror stories, right? I have the stories of being sexually assaulted by men or being taken advantage of in spaces like that have violated me in ways that were not right and inappropriate. And we know the stories from our, um, you know, relatives, children, all all the things. And I still assume good intent with Black men. I don't know if that is a genetic defect when it comes to who we've had to be for black men over generations. I think the answer to that is, you know, yes. And, um, and it's also, I think part of my, like my spirit won't let me give up on black men. And so I can't go all the way to the bad place of not assuming good attempt because it's too dark of a path that I I'm scared. I won't be able to pull myself out of. And so because of that, I have a really hard time, convincing myself otherwise I know when black men are around I feel safer right like that is just my default until you prove me wrong like until you do something that violates my trust until you do something that violates my belief that you have my back um now I ain't gonna be no fool like if you show me who you are then that's what I'm gonna believe but I think my wiring will not it won't let me skew to the side of of not feeling initially feeling safe until you prove me wrong i think and this is where i don't need no man to make me feel safe pops up into like that, that my whole being is because i'm skeptical of everybody so when i walk into that room and i see that the only other black person is a black man it's not immediate like safety doesn't even cross my mind you know because my thinking is i know where all the exits are i peeped them when i walked in you know <laughs> and, and it's like if something goes down I don't care who's in the room because I'm getting out. 
you know fire drills never go well when i'm doing it because i'm going home as soon as the alarm goes off you know what i'm saying so it ain't even that it's more like i think the thing i react to when i see a black man is like they're automatically going to put us together especially in scenario in professional settings because usually the person making the groups is a, a white person who assumes all black people know each other like each other want to be paired together um, and that was reinforced several times at that organization um, and so the thought becomes now i'm going to have to teach him or or bring him to where i'm trying to go you know it's never like it's like i'm going to like be, with what erica said about our wiring it's like now i'm gonna have to take care of him too because they're gonna try to fuck with him it, it flips it's like now i gotta make him feel safe as opposed to whatever it, it's it's like a now i got to <laughs> i got to cover both of us and at least text him when i get out and see if he got out too you know now i will say from a professional standpoint absolutely for me that is where i go into which i've identified as a blind spot for me as a as a leader i mm -hmm. know i overcompensate for black men i mm -hmm. absolutely overcompensate for black men in the workplace and i have even named that for the black man when i found myself doing it now i'm gonna say this to you behind these closed doors because we need to get this right for the people on the other side but the reality is i know that i do everything possible to smooth over any you know perceived blemishes or um um, you know, just not being able to, to, to perform up to par. And I also know that I have a higher expectation of them. Like I really, I've enjoyed managing black men, but that has been the most challenging relationship dynamic for me to navigate of any pop, including some very young, some very privileged white girls, which we know is already just on the whole other end of the spectrum from us, at least for me, but managing black men, is a whole different level of investment for me, I think, which leads it's leads to a different level of burnout. Yeah. So, and I've, I've in my line of work, I do um, mentor slash manage a lot of black men, and it happens a lot that they come to you for fulfillment and to to be lifted up and to be coached up but then they give others the praise and the recognition and it's always a little hurtful but i i guess i've grown used to it i have one work son in particular he is probably the only person who will Pr loudly sing my praises and talk about how giving i am as a manager and how like I've done this and I've done that and I work hard and blah, blah, blah. He's the only one. And I've pretty much my entire career managed black, black men. And he's the only one who has ever given me the credit for what I do. He's the only one who's ever been that ally and spoken up for me, even when I'm not in the room. And for me to think through that and be able to say that is like, what, why, why? Cause I don't particularly work in, um, like a white dominated field. I will find allyship with white non-straight men before I find allies with black men. Ooh, before we unravel that one, yes. we have some questions. Why do you choose the title son for the men that you manage? Because I am their work mom. I am the one who will close the door and cuss them out and 
I'm the one, and this is weird because it happens often where I'm the one where they're like, hey, this person isn't listening to me. Can you talk to them? Like other people find them hard to manage Mm-mm. when they're not. Mm-mm. You just need to be straightforward with them and have the conversation, but they're afraid to have the conversation because, well, what if he blows up? Let that nigga blow up then. Like, it's really not the people who are coming that big to you. of a deal. Sorry. Again? The people who are coming to you to like talk to these sons that you have, right? Why can't they do their own jobs? Why is it your job to do their jobs? Because, and and what I'm really getting to is the fact that as black women, as black women, we feel the need. We always feel the need to mother these men. This is, this is why I ain't got nothing for them. I have nothing for them. They've been mothered all their lives. No, I'm not your mama. I am not your mother. Yes, do I want you to succeed? Definitely. Yes, I do. But you are a grown man. And you're going to learn like everybody else. So I do think as Black women, we tend to mother our men a lot, a lot, to the point that even like my friends now with husbands talking about they're useless. I'm like, girl, I've met your husband. He's actually capable if you would just let him do some. And we mother them and then we resent them in the end for the fact that they just allow us to do what we do. We allow, we let it happen the way that it does. We, we, I feel like sometimes we even love it. We love being that person. But I think a lot of times there's also some resentment that comes with that because it's like, dang, I'm out here doing everything. So when you, the, when you said my sons, it just brought up again how we constantly feel the need to mother our black men instead of treating him, treating them like the grown men that they are and holding them accountable to some stuff. Every now and then, like, yo, show up. And you made a great point earlier. It's like, yo, where all of y'all want to have sex with Michelle Obama? Where were y'all when they were coming for her? Where were you guys when they were coming for her? So this dynamic shows up in lots of ways. And I just threw a whole temper tantrum over here because um, in my world, yesterday, as uh, we were on a family hike, myself and my two cousins, and there was a group of teenage girls walking in the opposite direction of us. Um, I'm going to say roughly eight or nine white girls and one, one black girl. And she was walking with a white girl on either side of her with their heads on her shoulder. And she was stroking their hair and patting them and using very gentle tones. And so we walked, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 more steps. And I turned around to my cousins and I said, okay, I I just need to say the words that are, are going through my head right now. Like, do you all notice when there's a group of white girls, women, whoever, and then there is a single black woman or girl? And Trinity, my 14 year old cousin, blurts out, and she always taking care of them. And I said, yes. And I just needed to make sure that what I was feeling in that moment wasn't just Erica always wearing her race, you know, lens, but the 14 year old who was with me noticed the exact same dynamic and had the same moment of reflection that 
even when she's in social settings, that that is what she also notices. And so then as you were saying, son, Michelle, that was also that bell, that role that we play of mothering um, that extends beyond Black men, but that has been appropriated for white women's children as well, historically, how we literally just had this conversation um, with the 14-year-old who also recognizes these patterns that are ours in all the worst ways, but are ours. Yeah, I definitely will have to be more conscious of that because that is me. I am the oldest of three and have two younger brothers and I embrace that um, maternal protector role as if it was my birthright and it's not fair because ain't nobody taking care of me in most rooms I walk into unless I am at my mom and daddy's house nobody is really looking out for me so the fact that I'm always doing it in every room I walk into is not fair I for one am happy to hear you say that my comment was not for you to judge yourself either but all. it is it is That's the last thing I want you to do. No, it it's something that has shown up several times in my life throughout the years and sometimes it's you know okay and sometimes it is not. Sometimes I am being used and I have to like cut that out and and really like call people to the carpet when they're doing that to me and say that's not my job. You're grown, do the work. I said it because in the spirit of mothering others, we forget to love ourselves. That's really why I said it. We forget to say, hey, Michelle, how you doing today, girl? How you right. doing? And saying, you know what, this is what I need today. Let me offer that to Michelle today. Even if that might interfere with me taking care of my sons today, because this is what I need for me today. And I think we often do that as black women because we are so busy mothering other people. Don't get me wrong. I've been on a train too. I've just done a lot of re reprogramming, a lot of reprogramming to realize, and I still catch it sometimes. And now it's shifted from me doing to me feeling like I've got to take care of your feelings. And then I'm like, oh, no, no, no. That is not my job to protect your emotional health. That is your job. And the more I, the more I do that for me, the more I can empower you to, to do that for yourself. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's why I love WAP too. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I just dropped in the chat box a link to Drop the Ball by Tiffany Dufu. I never know how to say her last name because I've never heard her say it. But um, it, it's, it's subtitled as Achieving More by Doing Less. Um, and essentially, she is, she is naming for herself that she needs to feel needed. She needs to be an alpha woman. She talks about how when she had her first child and she left that child with his father, um, she made a list of basic things for this man to do, uh, like remember to feed our child type lists. Um, and so the book is her saying, I'm, a, I'm not carrying this with me anymore. Like, I'm just not gonna do it. <laughs> like, he's going to, it, it's like a simple thing to say, am I doing this because I've been conditioned as a woman to take care of the house? Or am I doing this because I like putting groceries away? Um, am I doing this because it's what, 
like Annie is saying, is what I need today? Or is it because society is telling me this is my role in a family? And she takes it to a very, like, that's extreme to me because I think that people know how to take care of their kids. And if you would a man who can't take care of a kid, like, I'm confused why you have a child by somebody who don't know how to feed them. Like, that's just weird. But she also is very transparent and says that that's something that she did. Like, that's her messaging, not something that he did or he said that made her think that he was incapable of taking care of his kid. So I think um, it, it's a super interesting book. And, and she puts it, like, as a, um, a female leader in a company or whatever. And she says, um, basically, the book is showing women how to cultivate the single skill they really need in order to thrive, the ability to let go. Like, if it ain't your job, don't do it. Like that's essentially drop the ball. You don't have you don't have to carry what's not yours unless you just want to, you know. And I think more of us need to think through why we're doing some of these things and why we are mothering. And if it is just because that's my role, then we need to cut that off. Look at all this pondering. When you said all that, I really was just thinking too. So I'm working on a document for coaching and really building self-awareness in general. And one of the things that came up while I was like building out these strategies was really taking the time to evaluate these childhood stories that we tell ourselves. It was a Wax uh, event I went to when I specifically remembered the uh, presenter saying it's really important not to, to to evaluate these eight six to nine year old stories that are playing over in your head that you're using as logic to base your decision off of now in your adult life and when she said it I just thought that is crazy you using six to nine year old logic for in your current adult life and you're I am 33 and that really don't make sense that I'm using nine year old logic with all the possible with all the experiences that I've had that I'm still using my nine year old logic to make decisions now so it always reminds me of like I don't think these childhood stories go away we just find tools to address them in different ways and Finding, um, once you start to like peel back the layers of like, oh, this is how this shows up in my life. It really starts, you really start to become more aware of like, oh, this is what this is right here. And again, it's still your choice to go either way. That's why I was like, this wasn't a judgmental thing at all. It's more of like building awareness to see, oh, this is how I show up sometimes. And today I might choose to keep showing up that way because that's what I feel like doing. But tomorrow I may choose to show up differently. And when I do, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna show up differently. And before you know it, you start to prioritize self-care. And all of a sudden, you know, little by little, you start to realize, oh, Annie matters. And Annie is enough. And then all now the story has changed. And yeah, you're just happier and lighter. That story change piece um, or how it evolves 
is really important. Um, Annie, as you were talking, I was, I was like fighting the urge to ask you for an example, but then I came up with one in my head for myself. So I was like, okay, I get it. So this narrative around safety, right? Like the way I grew up, my grandfather, my uncles, blah, 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 which is very true. I also have, have a pattern in my intimate relationships where there's a lever that either is switched on or stays off based on some very specific like behaviors of men, right? And the levers do, I do, the levers do have an association with physical safety, but it was connected to something else that was a lot deeper for me that I could not articulate. And it wasn't until my therapist um, like really pushed me a little bit to ask me like those why and why and why questions. And I was, I had constructed that narrative around safety and my childhood and what that looked like for me and that being a foundation for why I expected in my relationships. But it was really like one layer deeper than that was that I have toggled my definition of masculinity with that safety. And so I had to reconstruct, I didn't reconstruct the narrative. The narrative had a different place now in my brain, right? And I really struggled because I I wanted to judge myself based off of that. I wanted to go to the place of like, Erica, how do you, you know, how are you going to determine that somebody is masculine because of, but I had to like relinquish the need and desire to add value to it and just acknowledge it for what the hell it is for me. It is what it is. And, and relieve myself of like judgment associated with it. But the narrative hasn't changed. It just has a whole different value in a different place where it lives now so that I can use it the way I, it needs to be used based on what it really means to me today. It's so um, in true Erica and Nicole fashion, <laughs> where I don't, I didn't associate it with safety. I make those same associations with masculinity. Um, I... If I don't, if a man doesn't make me feel safe or I don't think that a man can fix something or help me in some way, then I do, like his masculinity comes down a little bit. An attractive man is only as attractive as his ability to put something together, you know? And subconsciously, it might not be tied to safety for me, but even if I think about like my my father and, and things like that, um, my biological father, I'm not gonna say he's violent, but I have, I've been in situations where he has threatened violence to someone who didn't help me or, or who tried to, you know, take something from me or something. And that is something that if every man I've been with, I believe if in a situation would defend me like that, would, would come with some show of force. On the flip side, my stepfather has always provided things for me. Um, I remember one time I called him about needing some gas. He came and saw my car at the gas station and was like, I need you to meet me at this tire place, you know? So he gave me a full tank of gas and four new tires just because he saw that's what my car needed. And so in relationships, men who aren't able to, who who don't, who are not connected and, and can't sense my needs like that, we have not gotten very far, you know? And so I, I do associate those things with masculinity. It just... The, the safety piece is not is not there. So we the same but different as always. So um, because we can't sit and talk about this forever, what 
one of the things Erica said earlier when you told me the, the hiking story was like, so now what do, what do we do for this 14 year old girl? You know, like, so what's next? Um, um, we have already talked about, you know, seeing whether or not we see black men as allies and we are naming this need to, to nurture black men. Like, so what are we, what do we need to tell younger girls? What do we need to tell our younger selves to kind of, maybe not reconcile, because I don't know if it'll ever make sense, but like, what's the next step now? I think mine is a, a consistently across the board. Every single like, you know, category of person that you just named is to put your needs first, period. Like I want little Erica to put her needs first. I want teenage Erica to put her needs first. I want the 14 year old in my guest bedroom to put her needs first. I want every black woman that comes into one of our walk programs to put their needs first. Like I feel like when things that we know to be true, when we take care of ourselves, everything else around us shifts and changes. And even if I'm thinking from the like, what is it, defense side of like, how do I make sure I protect myself against white people? If I put myself first, there is a natural protection mechanism that is being put in place. There's a barrier there. Um, I also think it just feels like a good litmus test. Like if I am walking, hiking with this group of eight other who was girlfriend who disappeared or mysteriously fell off of a um, balcony at the slumber party with all the other white women. Okay. If this was putting her needs first, she would have listened to whatever Spidey sense and her sister and her girlfriend, whoever else told her not to take her ass over there. Like, I feel like the, the best way to be on the defense especially against oppressive behavior is to put ourselves and our needs first in order to position us where we won't be victimized. Like we all gonna rise. You know what I'm saying? Like the best thing about us as black women is that when we put ourselves first and we're good, everybody else around us is good. So I promise if we put ourselves first, like what we truly need at our core, everybody else gonna be all right. Unless Amy or Michelle, you have anything to add? I think that's the note. That's the yeah. I support um, it too. Um, all right, y'all. So ask a man in your life where he was when Michelle Obama needed him, uh, and let us know what he says. In the meantime, we're gonna take a quick break, and we'll be back with some light stuff, and we'll wrap up the show. All right, so um, light stuff. Annie asked the question in the chat box. Um, she asked if we've ever dated uh, a white man. Yeah, you know. I have. <laughs> so my situation is really weird because I did not date a white man until I was 30. Um, and in a lot of ways, I felt like I was pigeonholed into it because I had not one, not two, but three black men whom I was dating at different times tell me that I seem like the type of girl that only dates white men. And I had never dated a white man up until that point. And so it kind of made me feel like, well, maybe that's who I'm attracting. That's the energy I'm putting out. So I'll just go with it like whatever not that I have anything against it but it was never my 
preference or anything that I sought out. And so when I opened myself up to the potential of dating outside of my race, um, here comes Mr. White Man wanting to take me out to dinner and drinks and show me the world. A whole new world. No, it really wasn't. It wasn't that great. But I was about to say a whole new world and none of the magic. <laughs> none of the magic. Well, it was an experience. We were friends for a very long time after, but you know. I don't know if mine counts. He was definitely older and loaded. And he reminded me of Penguin. So I knew it wasn't gonna work from the second. The second he expressed interest. Penguin, I, like Batman's penguin. But yeah, the one and only. The one and only. So and I mean oh, it's what? <laughs> that's why I was like for this story I have been waiting for this story I knew it was coming I knew it was coming okay so I was my grandmother told me if I was ever going to date a white man that he needed to be I don't know what white actor she said but I'm gonna just say like Leonardo DiCaprio or Brad Pitt he needs to be like the top of the white man game or I can't date him okay so that's the kind of bigot my grandmother was. <laughs> so it's well, what when, is, you what say, when you say you dated a man who looked like penguin, I'm really confused because that don't make no sense. What he did he like he came around a time where I was trying to be open minded. You know, you know, you've all been through that phase. Come on. Yes. He like, you know what, Annie? It's time to try something new. Guys, I couldn't even kiss this man. He he went for a kiss. He took me to Natalie Cole, paid for like dinner at this night. I mean, it was a beautiful day. I just wish he didn't look like Penguin because he went for a kiss at the end of that day. And I said, I couldn't, I just couldn't. And then after that, I was like, oh, we had trips planned to LA. I could have been living large guys. And he was old, which means he was about to die anyway. I could have inherited all of that. Oh my God, Annie. It could have been mine. It could have been mine. Annie Nicole Smith. I'm, I'm way more shallow than I'm materialistic. I don't know what's wrong with me. We could have been living large guys. It could have been, been ours. It could have been, been ours. Been You're selfish. You're I, selfish. I could not take one for the team. I don't know what's wrong with me. See, the question is, I mean, what's wrong with him? Why he look like Penguin? Oh, you know like, what though? No, because that's not fair. I guess people belly, look like that. Waddle and all. I just couldn't. I just couldn't. I don't I just don't have it in me. I don't have it in me. Sometimes I wish I was more more materialistic and I was that I was shallow, but I don't know if my vagina don't make somersaults for you, it's just not gonna work. And yeah, so there it is. I, just, and the other I, time, I was just sex, so that don't count. So to go back to your, we all have that open-minded phase. I don't think I had an open-minded phase. <laughs> no. <laughs> really? Not no. even like, you know what? This dude no. is... This Let me tell you about my white man story. I, I, no. Michelle <laughs> cut you off with a no before you can even fix your mouth no. to say it, though. Like <laughs> When I tell you, these white men, like, literally would drink her bath water and she's just like they can't do nothing for me and these aren't like raggedy white men some of them were 
but like, you know, in our 20s, we were out there, we were moving and shaking, and they just loved them some Nicole, and she would play them like a fucking pro. And it's just because like, they're fun you know, to flirt with because flirting is fun. But flirting. beyond that, and she would tell them, if if I date a white man, I might he gotta I look might like Leo, Brad, you know. I just, like, to their faces, she would tell them. Nah. So I mean, there was a guy, there was a white guy who was mixed with Spain, Spanish, like his mother was Spanish and his father was Caucasian. Uh, that's the closest I've gotten to almost dating a white guy. And so the way this went down, we worked together, um, flirting all the time, uh, holding hands in theaters and stuff like that. And then he was gone from work for like two weeks and he came back and people were like, so how was your honeymoon? <laughs> I was just like, what? <laughs> a honeymoon? So that's as close. I mean, I, I, I just, there's no reason if they all the same, like, I'm gonna go with a black man. Like, for what? Why go down that road when, look what I could have instead. So, no, I have never dated a white guy. There was a, you know, the white guy who is probably the only white guy in a crew full of black guys. Oh. One yeah, one of those lived across from me um, in an apartment complex. And he would flirt. It was a good, I'm a good flirt, man. I'm a good flirt. He was a good flirt. I know he dated black girls because I've seen a couple in and out of his apartment. And I finally let him take me out on a date one time. But we I, we never dated. That was as far as it went. Um, I I have had sex with a white guy before. I was we curious. did say this was our fun stuff section. And then Michelle started with her. <laughs> not great. I mean, that's not a negative story, but you know. Yeah, I mean, we were together for a very long time, so... It's not like he was terrible. Yeah. Yeah, I was curious. I was curious. I scratched that itch and then I was like, okay, I get it. it. You know, it it was decent. It was like a solid B minus. I'll take a B minus. Like a solid B minus. Now I say, you know, for something that was not um, repeat action, you know, because I feel like first time is still a first time. But for the first time with no intentions on a repeat, a solid B minus, you know, that's, that's a solid grade. For yes. the first time? Great. First time not great. He was very into my pleasure. And, you know, I always appreciate that. I always appreciate that. Um, but outside of that, I, too, had gotten to the place of, okay, maybe I need to be more open-minded in who I am thinking about in terms of dating. Um, and this was really my point of negotiation. And I asked some of my... This sounds terrible. I asked some of my white girlfriends um, how this sounds, and they agreed that this probably wasn't going to work for me. Um, I say I don't fuck with white women at least twice a day, like at at least twice a day, right? Um, Even when I'm not even around any. And (laughs) if your mama is a white woman and your sister is a white woman and your auntie and your grandma and them is white women, like I I, I would be offended. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I would not, I understand. And so I don't know how to get around that. And I think that was enough for my very logical Virgo brain to go, then this should ain't for you. No, thank you. It's not for you. Yeah. There it is. There it is. <laughs> yep. 
As you know, WALK is all about amplifying the visibility and voices of those members of our network that make this work worth doing. I am so glad that two of our besties and collaborators were able to join us today um, for this edition of Cool, Calm, Collaborative. And so ladies, I would like for you all to leave our listeners with just a short little love note for Black women. So Annie, what do you have for us today? I would like for you all out here to love all parts of yourself no matter how they show up. I love it. I love it. And how about you, Michelle? What's your love note for us today? Um, I want to tell all of the Black women out there listening that you are worth it. Whatever it is, you deserve it. You have earned it. So go get it. Yeah. Yes. Amen. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so, 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 so much, Annie and Michelle, because we literally was on here about to record this podcast and said, you know, we need Annie and Michelle. So thank y'all for coming through, for real. Thank you all out there for listening, coming back another week, even though we, you know, took our little break. Make sure you leave a review and a rating wherever you're listening right now. And if you are not a Black woman and you're listening to this, it is okay. We want you to enjoy it also as well. You can find us at Workplay Build on all the things and on workplaybuild.org. See y'all next week. She's Nicole. And I'm Erica. And I'm Annie. And Michelle. And this is Cool, Calm, and Super Collaborative.